Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, regular listeners, you may have spotted that we've changed our name. It's now Honey & Co. The Food Sessions. So if you hear this sound, it's just us making dinner. Well, that and the fact that we're not allowed to use our title anymore. It's just been a bit of a thing, but don't worry about it. We hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of The Honey & Co. Once a month, we invite someone we admire for a chat in front of a small audience in our daily honey and spice. Every speaker gives us the opportunity to cook food inspired by their cuisine for the audience to try. We sit back with a glass of wine and hear about a life made in food. I knew about tonight because I'm a frequent customer of Honey & Co. And whatever they're in, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Basically, that's it. The reason I bought the tickets is because we're recently converted to absolutely loving Sicily. We went and last year, we're going back again this, this year. year. But yeah. I didn't care, we just thought, right, Sicily's obviously going to be good, so we'll come along and, it's going to be good. and have a look yeah. and a taste. I followed Rachel's blog years ago. And I also lived in Italy, and I love everything. And I've got her first book, and I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a starstruck fan, actually. <laughs> a bit like, oh my god, she's over there. This week we're joined by Rachel Roddy, who writes for the Guardian, who wrote a wonderful cookbook a couple of years ago called Five Quarters, and just has a new book come out called Two Kitchens. It's about Sicilian food and it's about all the wonderful ingredients of Sicily, aubergines, anchovies, lemon, and also of her adventures in sharing a life between two kitchens, her kitchen in Sicily and her kitchen in Rome. She is interviewed by our own Elizabeth Hallett. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Welcome back, Rachel. And um, actually, what um, we're going to do this evening is start with a reading. Um, when Rachel last came, we talked about her first book, Five Quarters, and we're going to do a little reading from the Guardian e- extract, which is not strictly an extract, but it will just give you some context as to why this book is called Two Kitchens because we were just joking earlier about Ed Miliband's two kitchens. It's not that kind of two kitchens. Um, So I will give you this, and we will start with a little bit of The Guardian. This was titled After the Madonna. So Della no longer has a central market, but a dispersed one that plays out all over the city, on corners and in laybys, out of front doors, windows and garages. A man and his son occupy the pitch at the end of our street, 
setting up their makeshift car boot and crate stall in a corner that offers at least some shade from the often blinding sun. They sell one, maybe two things depending on the season, but for us they are the tomato too, as during our long summer visits the corner is pure red, awash with the round, deeply fluted tomatoes they call nostrani, which means ours. We're so used to the red that it came as a shock when last week, arriving two weeks earlier than usual, we found the end of our street black and yellow, black being the lozenge-shaped potatoes that are really waxy, and black the early aubergines, each one like a small, shining truncheon. As usual, the father was sitting on the upended crate, the son leaning against the car, running his tongue over the tracks of braces on his teeth, which surely must be ready to come off by now. Tomatoes, I ask. Dopo la Madonna, the father replied. It took me a minute to adjust, and then I did. Back to a city and family where so much life is patterned around saint and patron saint days, the most significant of which is the Madonna della Grazia, or the Maria Santissima, several days of celebration and veneration that culminate on a procession on the 2nd of July. The tomatoes will come after that, dopo la Madonna, he was saying. In fact, we didn't buy aubergines from the tomato too, walking instead to Rosa, whose garage shop is a place I trust most. Her husband works land almost exactly where my partner Vincenzo's grandfather farmed, and in much the same way, which we might call biodynamic or, 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 or something like that, that he simply thinks of as good farming. At Rosa's we find a sea of green, lettuces, chard, there's great big floppy bunches of tenerumi, which are the shoots, the moleskin leaves and tendrils of a wonderfully phallic, really phallic, Sicilian <laughs> cordette called Cucuza. No tomatoes, though, the first having been besieged by uncharacteristic June. They'll be better after the Madonna, Rosa tells me. She does, though, have aubergines, deep purple and, and shaped like small, slightly squashed pumpkins, which she also refers to as nostrani. What will you make, she says. Now, I have known Rosa and shopped in her garage with its blue and white striped curtain, blue water tank and freckled floor for three years. I have bought aubergines and talked about caponata many, many times. However, it seems that we will again. <laughs> Advice about how to prepare and cook certain things is spontaneous with Rosa, but it's not sentimental. And she's not the only one. Spontaneous advice is something I meet again and again in Sicily, and nowhere more than with Caponata, the island's quintessential aubergine and celery stew, whose sweet and savoury, boisterous and concentrated flavours seem like the very essence of the Sicilian market. Rosalind goes upstairs to get me some of her Caponata, and she brings it down in a foil container, protected by cling film, and padded with a great big wad of kitchen towel so I can carry it home. On the way home, though, I stop for granita, which really only makes sense when it's hot. The icy crystals, cold enough to make you catch your breath and cool you from inside. Our local bar has four flavours, deep burgundy and lip-staining jelsey, an almond so luscious and so like cream you wonder if it contains some. It doesn't, and really, really strong coffee. If it was breakfast, you might do as the Sicilians do and have a sweet yeasted brioche too, the sort with a top knot that begs to be pulled off and eaten with alternating slices of icy almond granita. My lips numb, I walk again through the narrow grid of back streets, some of which are ruinous, other well-loved, bleached and strung with washing, all of which have an almost labyrinthine ability to baffle me. I'm always relieved to reach Via Buscemi because I think of the actor Steve and know I'm nearly home. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'd really like to talk a bit more about coming to Via Buscemi the first time you do, but I think we should go back a bit further and start in Sicily when you first went on this madcap mission with a handbag, turning up at the airport thinking, I'm going to Sicily. And just tell us a little bit about arriving there for the very first time, which is now 12 years ago. In 2005, I um, left England and went to Naples where I spent a week. 
and then I, yeah, I did only have a handbag. I think it was quite dramatic at the time, but actually it was also very nice, very liberating, because I had this very small handbag, and I went to Naples, and I spent a week there, which was wild. I, d- I didn't speak any Italian, really none at all. So it's quite t- an adventure. Yeah, and also, adventure. I think, and I also not thinking I could ever learn any, because I think I'd been told at school that I had no natural ability for languages. <laughs> yeah. I never really told that, and I believed it, so I just kind of believed that I wouldn't learn any. I think I knew a few food terms. I spent a week in Naples, um, which is a kind of blur, and then I got the night boats, which is a journey I suggest you do from Palermo, uh, from Napoli to Palermo, and I then spent two months travelling around Sicily, still with no luggage, and I just I did went clockwise around the island, and when I got to the the journey was more important than the stops. I just wanted to travel, and I travelled on buses and trains, and I stopped at Barcelona del Pozzo, Messina, which is where Sicily touches Italy. I went to Tormina, didn't stay there very long. I went to Catania, where I really nearly bought a flat. Um, really did. And I still regret that I didn't sometimes, <laughs> um, just near the fish market. And then I, and then I, and I, so I travelled around. And then I went to Rome, and I really didn't want to stay in Rome. And um, I thought it was beautiful, but then I did. And I was a bit cross about that for quite a long time. So always wanted, and then met a Sicilian called Vincenzo, which you could say was calculating. <laughs> the time kind of... <laughs> Unconsciously, but, but yeah, so then stayed in Rome and very settled in Rome now for 12 years. You were very aware that he was Sicilian when you met him, and he was a bartender. And I think the Negronis might have had something to do with making <laughs> yeah, that conversation. I think the Negronis are responsible for lots of things, yeah, too. I don't think really had, I can't remember, I don't think I'd had Negroni before then actually. Now, it, I think I'd even really heard of it before. Two, that, I don't know anyway, yes, two. Like, I remember him telling me, like, three fastidious equal parts of gin, martini and campari. I think it was, like, it was invented to make people drunk. <laughs> but it was blowing on the bar. He was a barman, yeah, and he, he looks very... He looks... I'd been in Sicily, and he looks incredibly Sicilian. I don't think you get much more Sicilian than the trends of small, dark, Arab-looking, actually. So. And you discovered over the, the, that conversation in the bar that his grandfather was a tomato farmer which I just thought was a great chat-up line. <laughs> I just, which was quite... Yeah, I was really... Yeah, I did. I mean, I just... I was really intrigued by the fact that his, his grandfather was a tomato farmer in this very industrial town in Sicily. So we talked a lot about that. Although he's quite reserved, Vincenzo. He's not one for kind of disclosing in maybe the way that I am. But, um, but you, you write about tomatoes being... There are tomatoes and there are tomatoes, and you talk about your mum's tomatoes grown against the sunny fence in north of London and how beautiful they were. And I think everyone has those tomatoes. When they've grown them themselves, it's a triumph of sun-ripened beauty, apart from the green ones. But you say that that you're somewhere in the middle in Rome, tomato-wise, because Sicilian tomatoes are just so abundant and so beautiful yeah well, they're just they're just so abundant it's so so where his grandfather it's a town called Jela, so south coast kind of central really industrial i mean Jela is known for the, a petroleum plant and a, and um and the mafia and most guidebooks tell you not just to drive past but literally avert your eyes as you drive past this this town but it was the first colonized town in sicily and it, the greeks must have arrived there well they did and say I mean, obviously, there weren't tomatoes then, but they arrived and it had everything. It had grain and olives and, and vines. And, and so, um, so it's incredibly fertile. It's hot. It's a flat plain. 
it's rather extraordinary place, really. I mean, I think people... I'm slightly worried that people will start stopping because it is a, it's a strange town. It, you, the initial impression is it's brutal. It's a, a big... But it's, it's, it's just extraordinary. And when you spend a bit of time there, it, it's, you can see the kind of Arab street plans and courtyards. You, you can see the traces of... It was farmers and fishermen. It, it, I always think that Sicily is where you've got like 2,500 years of history on a parallel plane. Like, it's all there. Everything from the kind of... I don't know, McDonald's to, to the kind of ancient wild olive trees. It's quite extraordinary, and you really see that in Jell. You talk about the oil refinery having chimneys painted red and white. Yeah, like a stripy sock. Yeah, and the football stadium with its mural. And it, it sounds like a very, very ordinary place. But when you first went down the road where Vincenzo's grandparents' house is... You've described how there were ruined houses that had simply fallen down. And I found that quite shocking to think it it feels a little bit decayed and a little bit left behind. But actually you've discovered a different kind of life there, haven't you, with with the the street corner market because there is no central market anymore. We we settled in Rome and then we... So we travelled a lot to Sicily, in Vincenzo, but but never went to Gela. His parents, Vincenzo's parents, both left Sicily, like a lot of Sicilians, and probably won't go back. But his grandparents' house was shut up in jail, and we just never went. It wasn't even really that we. It was a problem. The house was closed up. His grandmother was in Tuscany and not very well. There was quite a lot of sadness surrounding the house, although not morbid. It was just shut up, and various cousins. But it just we, it was never mentioned, and I just thought it wasn't my place to. But we visited Sicily lots. Vincenzo is a musician, so we travel a lot. We kind of went all over Sicily, but we'd never been to Gela. And then it was Bartolomeo, Vincenzo's dad, who's really on my side, my number one fan. He went through the new book just going, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Carmela, <gasps> there's really quite brutal pictures of Gela. Oh, Dio mio. <laughs> no. Also, there's a picture of a, of a teeth, of a, um, of, a, of a cloth hanging out the window. Carmela, just, you know, as if what the neighbours will think. Yeah. <laughs> this cloth hanging out anyway, but, you know, but but he said, go and open up the house. And we did. We drove down and went to jail. And we, we, well, I opened up the house. And I, and I did. The blinds had rotted. So when I pulled the kitchen blind down, it just fell off. But it's a modern house. It's a, do you remember like Rachel White reads? Block house. It's a modern house. But it was a farmer's house. They had a horse and chickens in the bottom and tomato fields out the back. Where past and present absolutely meet. But it's a very ordinary town. Yeah, this house has fallen down. The streets kind of erupted. You know how cobblestones do? Like as if kind of a bit angry. I was really shocked when we got there. I did think, oh, bloody hell. Like, this is, this is really, this is spooky. And then most houses have half doors. And on our first day, there was a brother and sister who lived in front. And I'm opening the door and this brother and sister just stood. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, God, this is just like staring at me, not saying anything. I said, ciao. And they just looked. I love being there now. It's, we've promised to look after the house. I mean, Carmela now says, well, you've opened it. Okay. You, know? <laughs> you, you open those blinds, you, 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 know, you look after it. it. It sounds like that slightly sinking feeling you get when you go to a holiday house that does not meet your expectations. <laughs> you yeah. the, the house has a flat roof, crucially, mm-hmm. and it has a water tank on the roof. That's where the flat roof would be where Sarah, Vincenzo's grandmother, would have dried tomatoes. Yeah, that was the thing she did. And I have to be really careful not to over-romanticise this. Carmela really keeps me in check. So she put away everything they grew, and primarily tomatoes, and wheat and grain, 
and wheat. So grain and tomatoes, which maybe explains like Vincenzo's quite serious attachment to pasta with tomato sauce, <laughs> that they just ate all the time. So she conserved tomatoes. So, so, but I mean kilos and kilos and kilos of tomatoes, along with, and they grew them for everyone in their street. So the whole street would be, would be trans, would, into this great big kind of industrial line of tomato production. And they'd make this passata, which you put in bottles, until the you know, 80s, this is very recent, and then she'd make this thick sauce and they'd put it on wooden blocks, wooden tables. It was then dried in the sun. So it would go from a tomato sauce and they scrape it. I've seen them doing it. I, we have a friend who, who does it still. Very few people still do it in this way. And then it becomes almost thick like clay. And they call this strato, which is extract. And it's the tomato concentrate that they use in everything. So they, they would use a bottle of tomatoes or they would use a spoonful. Lots and lots of my mother-in-law's recipes don't include tomato. They include a spoonful of tomato puree, which just makes things ro rosy, you know. But that's what Sarah did. But, so we got to jail. I knew that people didn't do it anymore. Sarah, well, sadly, but also happily, she, she didn't ever see the book. She'd quietly lost her mind, although she recognised all her grandchildren, particularly Vincenzo and little Luca, our son, but she, she had left. So, so I got to Jello and I, but nobody preserves tomatoes in that, in that way anymore, I thought. But actually then when we spent some time there, I, I realised that actually it's like, you know when you notice something for the first time that you hadn't noticed before, and then you suddenly notice it everywhere. You know, there's still old people drying. It's, 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 a, it's a way of life, tomatoes there, because they're just everywhere, and they're really delicious they're such good tomatoes car boots and boots and boots and boots of tomatoes you don't, know what, you don't know what to do with them and lemons are another big feature the, the kind of citrus groves in Sicily and that kind of allows you to flip backwards and forwards between your two kitchens because you have a great friend in Rome who has a lemon tree in her garden that, that fruits all year round but one of the things that always made me laugh was the idea of um, Vincenzo eating a whole lemon, which he said his grandfather did as well. Yeah, they're, well, they're Sicilian lemons, so they're more, they're, they're, they've got a lot of pith. They're big and knobbly. They, they've got, you know, probably about that much pith, which tastes a bit more like aubergine flesh than anything that I might know as a lemon. doesn't make you pucker. Although I do have to tell that story that that Vincenzo's grandfather, so he'd, he'd sometimes peel it, but he'd eat the whole lemon like a piece of fruit. They're, I mean, they're not, they're, they're sour, they make your mouth pucker, but they're, they're mild and a bit sweeter. And you know, he'd just eat it like an apple. Apparently he had perfect teeth, very white. My grandpa Roddy on the other, my granny had a pub in the north of England, and my grandpa Roddy couldn't even, if you showed him a quarter of a lemon, he did this. Oh dear, you know, sorry, just the contrast of these two men makes me think, but yeah, Vincenzo eats lemons. But this book is, is Rome and, Jan and Rome and Sicily. We, I think I'm very conscious of that because I feel like I'm straddling these two worlds but I think because I write because I was allowed to write by my amazing publishing house I was allowed to write very honestly and kind of in real time which is a little bit odd at the moment we're kind of in two place, places and they allowed the book they, you allowed me to jump back and forth and so I think it, it's some sort of time for this book I felt gosh if people know where I am you know am I in Rome or in Sicily I mean I'm in both but it was it was just because that's where we are <coughs> I think we will end up in Sicily I think we will go there it's where I've always wanted to go 
but it just might take a bit of time. But yeah, we're, we're in two places. So lemons is very much Rome. And my friend Chinsa, who has this great lemon tree. I mean, I don't think I'll ever get used to seeing lemons on trees. The recipes in the books are for lots of, from lots of people, but there's quite a few recipes from wonderful Chinsia, who's my neighbour and friend, in, who came and was completely <laughs> bewitched by dinner at Honey and Smoke. <laughs> I mean, she's really wonderful, doesn't speak any English at all. She, a lot of recipes are hers, and she's very kind, and I spend a lot of time sitting in her kitchen. And she can sit at her kitchen table and pick a lemon off the tree, which just seems so exhausting. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot of your recipes are really learned by cooking in other people's kitchens, aren't they? So you've, you've said before that, that actually you could have called the book Many Kitchens because you're very at home in the kitchen talking about food and sharing that lovely rhythm of chopping and talking and discovering how a recipe is made and occasionally when you cook with Carmela she gets quite cross because you don't have oregano or you, you don't have something in your little kitchen well, in she, Rome. Yeah, well, Carmela really gets cross. Vincenza's mum, who didn't cook, she couldn't wait to stop cooking. Her, you know, mom, her mum was a farmer, I mean, she couldn't wait to stop. Carmela doesn't want any big quantities of anything. If we say we'll bring you some oil back from Sicily, she says, it's too messy. She, but she really kind of gets very cross with me cooking. But she's lovely. But, but this, this book is other people's recipes. I think when I first went to Italy, I, and I was living in Testaccio, and I just, you know me, I get so worried about sounding like some cliches, but I did just ask people to show me how to make things. I, 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 and I was living in this 
block, the block from five quarters. And I, so there's lots of people who've lived there all their lives. Roman food is really traditional, really, really traditional. Roman food, Romans eat Roman food. It's everywhere you look, without romanticising it, but it just is. You know, they eat the same dishes on certain days. You can smell chickpeas boiling on other days. They sell certain things at the market. Everyone's favourite vegetable is chicory. It's like, <laughs> it's quite incredible. And I just remember thinking, of course, there's different things. But I just thought, this is bonkers. I can't. And so I just joined in, really, and, and asked people to show me how to cook things. And I think that was really, it was really good because it, it was, I knew how to cook. I was, I'm kind of confident in the kitchen. A lot of my friends are much better cooks than me. But, but asking people how to show you something is lovely because they just, you stop. <coughs> trying to do any show off or pretend that you know anything you just let them ship you and they always give you a story and it's really lovely and it was and I did I did that a lot a lot and actually I'm looking forward to doing it again I did it in Sicily and I I miss it now I think especially when I'm writing I just think the best stories come from other people I come I, I write in the garden every week and I'm thinking I mean, I've been here for three weeks and I'm thinking oh it's too I'm waffling on about me but actually I want those stories from other people you know those little domestic tales you get from people when they cook are just absolutely brilliant family gossip, you know, details, tricks. It's just, it all comes out when people are cooking. You're very clear that you make the recipes your own, ultimately, and that there's a kind of anarchy in the kitchen, and that the confident cook will think, well, I don't have that, but I do have this, and that that's how recipes evolve, and, and that ultimately they don't belong to anyone, but then you still come back to that very traditional, this is specifically Roman, but Italians are never short of advice for you, are they? I mean, even in the market. You can cause a whole squabble with other shoppers wanting to tell you exactly how you ought to cook something. Yeah, it's a very kind of... A ta- talk about food all the time. But not in a kind of... It's a very ordinary thing. It's like, oh, yeah, and you do that. And, you you know, what are you, you going to do with that? And do you do that? And it's, no, 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 you don't do that. You do that. Not a pretentious or a kind of foody thing. It's just an everyday thing that people just talk all the time. And, yeah, lots and lots of opinions. I think, but we talk about making recipes your own. I think that's, that's the advice that always, like, comes, I come back to. As a cook, as a, as a, as a keen home cook and follower of recipes... You know, recipes you make and then you, you know, you make them your own. You know, you can't give someone, can you really, a recipe for spaghetti, alio, olio and pepperoncino, the one with oil and garlic and, so oil, garlic, chilli pepper and parsley. You know, the kind of late night, I'm slightly drunk but I need something to eat, that Romans eat all the time. You can't tell someone a recipe from that, you know, but you, but you can give them a template and then you practice it and then you make it your own. But I think so many recipes like that, the nicest thing about, about five quarters, like all the things I love, like pasta with chickpeas and... I thought they were so weird in the beginning, those recipes, or, or, or caponata, or, or, um, or carbonara, or, or um, these, these, all these everyday, especially all the menestas, soups, you kind of, you make the recipe, then you make it your own, and quite quickly it's your recipe with your own. People now send me notes saying, oh, you know, I think I've made this slightly better. <laughs> I think I've improved on your recipe. It's my favourite thing, you know, people say, and I think, well, yes, you have. You probably have improved on my recipe, and it's lovely. Rosa's shop back in Jella, she's very keen to tell you, share her caponata and tell you her recipe. And you also talked about the aubergines in Vincenzo's grandparents' house. Somebody had uh, the whole roasted aubergines in winter time. Yeah, they had a bakery, so so mum's side tomato farmers, dad had, dad we put forward in our bakery, and so they used to roast aubergines in the oven. 
yeah, like whole vegetables, which I think is so, like, so, do you do that, Sarah? Like roast, I mean, that's something, I'm still quite scared of that, but like roasting whole. We burn about 20 kilos a day. Love it. <laughs> whole <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so do, they used to put, like, put st- stick garlic cloves in them and then roast them whole. Um, really mm. delicious. But yeah, the, the aubergines are very nice in them. Um, in, in Sicily, even Sicilian um, children think that aubergines are like slugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really nice picture that you paint about gathering around the the remains of the bread oven to have a convivial gathering and drink wine and the kids play. And it, it's it's very painterly kind of writing in that way. One of the things that I think we're talking quite a lot about the fruit and vegetables because it seems to me so quintessentially Sicilian because it's it's like a garden of Eden with all sorts of delicious things growing there but vegetables are very versatile aren't they in Italian cooking in a, in a way that perhaps when you think of English cooking of meat and two veg or even three at a push mm-hmm. um, it, it's a very different way of thinking about vegetables isn't it yeah yeah well because I mean, I mean Sicilian food is probably rose a bit different but Sicily is mostly vegetables so look, huge amounts of vegetables yeah they do well also the other thing well is they've just got I mean the most important ingredient by a long way in in the kitchen for me is olive oil that's what I spend all my money on and I've got a pretty kind of modest kitchen budget because it's where it starts isn't it you know it's not um and so they, yes, if you get lovely olive oil and just cook, I love the way, I mean, we, we agree on that. I mean, I love it when you cook, you know, you cook, cook courgettes or even marrows, quite big ones, in lots of olive oil in a pan, you know, squash the garlic so it's, it's split but not, not in pieces. Let it really start from cold, Fabrizio Lanza, and yeah. So start from cold, you don't want the, the garlic to burn, otherwise it becomes a bully. Let it, you know, and then, and then all the courgette in, loads of oil. I mean, I probably say six when I write recipes, make it 12 <laughs> tablespoons. Loads and loads, loads, and let it just bubble and bubble. Bit of hot water. And you can imagine as the vegetable juices come out, then the oil and the water and the juices mix, and you just let them, and they get, you get this kind of mushy, oily, oh, salt, loads. Mushy, soy, oily. And then that's one of my favourite things. You can mix it with pasta with loads of cheese on top, or you can put it on toast with ricotta, or you can put it in a jar and put some olive oil on it and have it as an antipasti. You know, these really... I love all that. I love all those recipes with vegetables. I, I mean, some of my favourite things. Caponata, I absolutely love. Peperonata, stewed red peppers. I'd always like a jar of that on the go. I'm not a particularly organised cook. I sometimes feel a bit of a fibber when I write things. I think, oh, God. You know, there's quite a lot of Weetabix happens in our house as well. But, but, but um, you know, I, I do make a lot of those things. Big quantities of, like braised vegetables that I've been making loads of aubergine slices lately and then just leave them you know you leave them in oil or or, or marin- yeah marinated courgettes they're, they're my favorite recipes I think the vegetable ones that are very useful and they really play into that sense that when there's you know when those vegetables are in season you can make the most of them and there's lots of recipes and you really like the rhythm of cooking the same thing so it, it's not quite like my mother who who grew up in a household where the same thing was served every day of the week and she would look forward to it you know because it it was quite a comforting thing mm-hmm. but you you come back again and again to favorite recipes don't you yeah we do I do a lot I do I don't make new things all the time that's quite hard <coughs> writing a column I'm glad I'm not Diana Henry having to do like 26 recipes a week. <laughs> One is a real stretch for me every week. But yeah, I do, I do come back to the, like, the same recipes again and again. 
also you get better at making them, don't you? And then you, mm. and also the other thing about it is as well is that I really, I'm, we've been talking about Sicily and all the wonderful produce, but I love coming back to England. I mean, we have such beautiful stuff here. We import so much, nothing wrong with importing. We used to import stuff in Rome, you know, we get such beautiful recipes also. Sicilians love sending tomatoes to Italy, to England, because people value them and will pay for them. Tomatoes should not be dirt cheap. You know, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't cost one euro. They cost that in jello because they're off the back of a lorry mate. I mean, you know, they are really, but actually, they shouldn't be so cheap. So, Natura, those wonderful sauces, also, I mean, I think Waitrose buy really beautifully. So much great produce is coming here. And so, and then English veg. I think, I love coming back and cooking with stuff out of mum's garden. And as, yeah, for me still, the tomato she grows are better than the ones in Jella because they're the ones, you know, you know, they're the ones that we grow. They, we grow, the kids grew, it's really nice. And, and back in Sicily, were you right that you were, some t- you were, you were afraid of cooking fish? And I think that lots of people feel a bit like that about fish, that, it, that it, it's complicated and you don't want to mess it up because it's a beautiful thing and it was expensive. But you've really got very confident about cooking fish. And you go to Scoglito? Scoglitti. Scoglitti. Um, really good. To, 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 go and, to go and buy uh, fish sometimes. It's, a, it's an outing from Jella. Oh yeah, it's a lovely outing it's much more picturesque than jelly just down the coast and when you come to Sicily all that lovely bit of coastline Ragusa and then Scoliti is a little fishing village it's fishing coast they've got wonderful fish there and um, and yes and so every restaurant has a boat and there's a central fish market so lots and lots and lots of sardines anchovies mm, mackerel wonderful fish the kind of red gambly but yeah we go and you buy we buy it in bulk I, I used to be really afraid of cooking fish I think I was I was quite intimidated by the kind of bones and the heads but I think I really came to grips with fish with anchovies. That's something I wish we could get more here, where we eat loads and loads and loads of anchovies, both preserved ones and fresh ones, and they're just, and sardines. So It's an auction at the market, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Because you, you made a bit of an error the first time you went in bidding for a kilo. Yeah, just like, I mean, not even, they didn't even laugh in a charming way. Like, they just laughed, like, what? Like really irritating, you know, hello. <laughs> All these really busy restaurants, you know, just like not, no, five kilos. And they, and, they, and they don't even give you the crate. They just put it in, in plastic bags because the restaurants have their own crates. They give you plastic bags. Like, so I kind of staggered away with like, like more than five kilos, like seven kilos of mackerel. <laughs> Vincenzo's so cross with me. And then I just said, I, and I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it under, I'm going to preserve it. So I rang his mum and got a recipe and I spent hours, like, I was talking about getting to grips with fish because sardines are really bony. I mean, you know, doing 12 is fine or just grill them whole in the barbecue, but doing six kilos, stank on the floor, like kind of rotting in the heat, boiling them all, putting them under oil. And then two days later, I heard in the kitchen. I thought, what is that? went over and literally just as I opened the door of the thing boom fortunately I hadn't put the lid on properly just exploded <laughs> I'm never ever ever doing that again Vincenzo's so cross with me Catania's got a fish market uh, there's a really great picture in the book oh my favourite picture it's a great spread of a really old chap sitting in a little shop with a chain curtain yeah the egg man the egg man and on the other side there's some young Sicilian men in the fish market showing off and they sort of admire themselves and one another. It's a lot of 
preening going on, I yeah. think. It's a beautiful photograph. Oh, it's yeah, it's, it's, it. it's Nick. I mean, Nick, Nick's pictures are so beautiful, I think. They're just, they're in the first and the second book, and they just, I've got so many. I've, you know, he took them all. He came and lived with us, this wonderful photographer. Like, what I love about Nick is that he was, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't looking for kind of picturesque Sicily. He was looking for pictures to go with the story. And, and Catania Fish Market is absolutely extraordinary. I haven't written, I mean, I mention it in the book. I think we're going to go and live there because I, I want to live so I can nearly smell this fish market, which is just like pure theatre. It's absolutely extraordinary. It takes place in this kind of sunken pit. Has anyone been? It's amazing. Yeah. If it, anyone goes, it's the best place. I couldn't even write ne ne another book. It's too, it's just, it's a sunken pit with two great big buildings behind. It's blackened. Catania's a really wonderful city. And then this, but it's a, it's a proper fish auction. So tuna the size of this bar. I kind of like chopped out, I chopped like trees and, and, and just every kind of fish. There's amazing spatula that look like a silver belt. Um, the gambari rossi kind of crustaceans crawling all over the floor. And it's just, it's like a, we just went there recently. I went there with my editor from Guardian Cook and she just stood, she's almost like vegetarian. She just stood there saying, I can't, I can't actually watch this anymore, but you do watch it. This incredible performance of of a fish auction that's really amazing but yeah we, we but that's a picture from there and we go there and buy fish sometimes really 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 early in the morning extraordinary and to eat a frito misto there just in the little restaurants just as it's coming from the market it's really an experience it's worth going just for yeah, that just fried things i mean fried <laughs> things fried fried them yeah we did them the other night that's one of my favorite restaurants in the book actually i hope people make those the panelle the chickpea fritters oh tell us about the chickpea fritters so, they sound so weird you mix chick. I mean, it's not if anyone makes farinata. You mix chickpea flour with with um with water, like a liter of water, three hundred grams of flour. So it looks really thin. You just think, no, nothing good will come of this <laughs> at all. And then you stir it, and it thickens like polenta. And then when it starts pulling away from the outside of the pan, but really pulls away, I've you know I've pulled it off too soon. You you it's then ready enough. And in 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 Catania and Palermo, they smear it on a cold surface and then cut it in squares. But what I do is, which is what a friend of ours does, is smear it on a plate with a spatula quite thin and then you leave it to set and it peels off like some really weird Japanese face mask. Mm. <laughs> You've got this kind of rubber thing and you cut it into triangles and it's, yeah, it's kind of the colour of toffee, these weird floppy triangles and then you fry it and, it's, and put loads of salt and lemon on it and it's delicious. <laughs> and we did them the other night and we just, we did loads of, but I mean the Sicilians and the, the Romans love love fried things. They really like their food. Who, do, who doesn't like fried things? <laughs> yeah. But also they're quite pillowy in the middle, aren't they? Yeah, they're, a they're bit custody almost. Crispy, pillowy, salty, lemony. They are. And actually, it's a slightly intimidating thing to think of cooking, I think. Um, but it's definitely one of those things where, you know, get a crowd, do fried things. And everyone loves fried food. The Sicilians, but I say the Romans are masters of that. Ro Romans love their fritti. They would love before a pizza, yeah, little fried fish or, or you know, zucchini or, or rice balls or all the courgette flowers, you know, stuffed with mozzarella and anchovies, dipped in batter and fried. They're really, yeah, delicious with fizzy wine. And you manage to do frying without doing the sort of full chip pan mode. <laughs> you 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 can. Fry in quite shallow olive oil and strain it and reuse it, can't you? Yeah, I, a lot of people don't fry in olive oil. I do because I just see it as an ingredient. But yeah, you, I mean, I fry in a small pan and then I yeah, I, I filter it and use it. Maybe put it back in the bottle. Maybe use it four times, olive oil. 
I think Friday night with cold beers. And the other thing that, that certainly for Vincenzo, and I th- actually, Vincenzo is, is in the book a lot. He's got very nice hands. His hands feature quite a lot, holding plates and pans. And um, he's a hand model. But he's also got lots of advice about cooking, hasn't he? Because he loves sharing food. And one of the things that I've learned from Vincenzo, from you, is to always make sure that I... When I see the end of a sourdough, and I just think, I, I can't eat that. It's dry, it's gone too far. I'll now turn it into breadcrumbs, and I have lots of little boxes of breadcrumbs in the freezer, and I use them because they're there. And and you said that one of the you know, breadcrumbs are a feature of the table, that eating spaghetti with breadcrumbs is one of the recipes in the book with anchovy breadcrumbs. But you also say that they end up in places you'd rather they didn't. Well, in my house, like everywhere, like really, like, yes, everywhere, all over the floor. I have a five and a half year old child. But yeah, they do. Sicilians use breadcrumbs all, all the time, like all, all, all the time. I suppose a resourceful habit, you know, using everything that, that's become part of their food. I don't know who's been to Sicily, but lots of their classic pastas have breadcrumbs on them. You know, you fry them in, in, in kind of a little bit of olive oil, or if you like anchovies, you melt anchovies into olive oil and then fry the breadcrumbs. You know, on on pasta or or on vegetables, as kind of you know, coating vegetables to deep fry them or chicken. Or they really use them all the time. I think that's not, you know this again, just incredibly traditional use of food. But yeah, I, I really like. I use a lot of breadcrumbs in Sicily. You buy you can buy them everywhere. Bags of breadcrumbs everywhere you go. Shops, garages, newsagents. They just have these bags of crumbs. Just and also because the bread is is hard. It's granodoro, so it's that kind of yellow dough. The, ye- the yellow flour, hard dough. You can, I mean, I make, you can make breadcrumbs with any, with any bread. I'm a bit partial to like white sliced bread, yeah. <laughs> with chicken, crunchy chicken. Does anyone not like crunchy chicken? <laughs> Actually, I said that's like the day, and four people went me. <laughs> I just, I, it's like, I, yeah. The first time I gave that to like Luca, and he looked at me as if to say, "Why have you never given me this before? <laughs> I want nothing else." <laughs> Well, I like the picture of the three of you walking around Jella, trying to find the bakery that you could smell, but you couldn't find it, and you went back the next day. Oh yeah, we found it. That, that bakery, though, it, it's re- that's a reason to go to Jella. Two reasons, to go and see Rosa in a garage shop, and to go and see these bakers, Rudolfo and Gisella. They're incredible. They're still like baking like they did. Rudolfo's 60. When he was seven, he's the youngest of ten children. Again, I don't want to like, over-romanticise. This happened in England too, but this is really recent, Sicily. He would, he would get up every morning and he would run round and he would take a bit of dough, the mother yeast, to his six women. He would then run back round the street shouting, Impastare! Which means need your dough. Yeah. Seven or six even. He would then go back round with a kind of these wooden slats on his back. He'd collect the loaves the women had made with their initial on them, run to the bakery... And they would bake them in this oven that they kind of paddle loaves out of. And then the kids would come and collect their parents' loaves. And this was happening until the, recently, the 90s. Um, and, and, the, and Rodolfo, and they still run this, this bake. It's changed a bit, you know. They, they don't heat it with olive stones. They heat it with a gas heater now. It's the original stove, and they stand there, you know, working. And it's just like a time warp. But this is still there, and it's kind of going on. And Rosa in her shop. Food, isn't it, is about, is about place and culture and history and... 
and it's so important. It feels so important now. Without sounding pretentious, to kind of know and have such a sense of where things come from, and where we're going, and what we've got, and what we lose when you're in Sicily. You know, boats arriving now with refugees from Lampedusa. It's very, and working alongside the Sicilians. You know, it's very. It's a very kind of powerful place to be, and you become very aware of like time. Without sounding stupid when you're there, and um, and I found that that I find that very moving. And, and the Sicilians are initially quite cruel, I find. I'm generalising massively, but then incredibly warm. I've never, except maybe in Greece, maybe the Greeks, I've never known more hospitality than, than Sicilians. Sicilians will ask you to sit with them and eat. It's like, it's like if they're on a sarit, they will, you know, they will sit down and give you something to eat. And it's, no matter what their house is like, it's a poor town, Jella. It's not, it's not a rich town at all. And it's very... I, yeah, I, I, I'm constantly like touched by that, by that when I go. We'll, we'll go back in, yeah, in, the, for, in August, the hottest month of the year. Yes. <laughs> and that's so the little Fiat Pandas, which has got two hundred thousand miles on the clock. You're worried about that panda. Very worried about the Fiat Panda. Um, but you're going to set off and go from Rome to Naples and complete the journey this summer. Yeah. It's a, that's, a re- I, that's such a good, such a good journey. Get the night boat from Naples. Have a bit of time in Naples, which is wonderful. It's like a kind of slap in the face. Naples is wilder than Sicily, I think. And then get the night boat. So you leave about nine, and then you get into the Bay of Palermo at six thirty in the morning. And it's in the summer. It's magic. And then you can go to the market, the you know the, the, the street market in Palermo, which is just it's extraordinary. So, and just in time for granita. I mean, the Sicilian breakfast. So a brioche. <laughs> That kind of sweet yeasted bun with a top nut and, a, and an almond granita is, a, is, a, is breakfast. So I think anywhere where that's breakfast is. When it's I not Weetabix. <laughs> <laughs> Although Weetabix saves me on a regular what's basis. Going on. Yeah. Um, so that's how you're going to spend the summer. And what, what we're going to do next is eat some of your food that Sarit and Isma have been cooking today. Um, and we have the menu up here on the wall. Who's going to tell us about it? You're going to tell us about it? <laughs> it's the caponata, the sweet and sour. It's kind of, actually, it's aubergine and celery stew. Um, then, then lentils with orange and herbs, and the chicken and ricotta. Oh, chicken, ricotta, and lemon balls. So, from the book that Sarah's made, wonderful Sarah's. And the lemon. Oh, and then the lemon, the lemon, lemon, lemon crumble cake. I think that everyone is going to enjoy exploring. You've dipped your toe in Sicily, and I think everyone's going to enjoy dipping their toe into Sicily with you. And you are quite simply the best kitchen companion with your book. So I've never cooked with you, but I just love cooking from your book and feel you standing at my shoulders saying, you know, that's, you know, you make it your own. Um, make do and it's a really lovely way to cook and I hope that everyone really does enjoy sharing that cooking experience with you at their side so thank you very much Rachel and um, we'll we'll go eat thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Honey and Coke we hope you enjoyed it even if you didn't get to try the food I promise everything was absolutely delicious. There are some wonderful guests coming up in the next few weeks and will be available to download. So make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes and please leave us a review if you can. That would be really, really great for us. 
This show is expertly produced by Hester Kant with recording assistance from the lovely Hannah Phoebe Bowen. Music by the great Ellis Russell. If you want to come along to one of our talks, you can join our mailing list on our website, honeyandco.co.uk, or follow us on our social media at honeyandco. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.